Hello, and welcome to the Best Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're sitting down today with uh, a colleague and and a, a friend from the other side of the world. I, I met Damien a uh, couple years ago now, and it's been just a total pleasure to meet him, to watch him um, sort of spin his magic. I'm going to talk a little bit about what that magic is. And in particular, the last couple of years uh, just feels like he's really come into his own in terms of what he's offering the world. And it's it's really quite special. So, you know, Damien is a coach. Uh, he's definitely a writer and a visionary. He likes to weave complex concepts and ideas into stories and into um, ways of looking at and sort of synthesizing things that really land for people and resonate with them in terms of their story and allow people that I think have been on a path of learning and growth and development to to finally make sense of things that they've been struggling with. So he has a particular ability to articulate these deep concepts in a way that people can, can receive and digest. And uh, I also get from him that he is just a sincere lover of life and, and a, an explorer of intimacy and relationship and authenticity. And he brings that to his work uh, so clearly. So Damien, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Pleasure mm-hmm. to be here. Yeah. So you you founded Evolve Relating, and I know mm-hmm. you've been involved in Authentic Relating, which some of the listeners may be familiar with. Could you start by just telling me a little bit about kind of some of your journey into the world of coaching and supporting people in relationship and intimacy, and mm-hmm. and you know what part did that Authentic Relating base play, and how has your work evolved from there? Mm. I um I encountered Authentic Relating. I was living in Thailand. You know. Uh, 16, 15 years ago, and I bumped into one of the, who I later discovered, one of the the founders of the Authentic Relating Movement, a guy called Brian Bayer. He was traveling through Thailand, and I, I there was a there was a park in in uh, in Chiang Mai where I was living where people would go and do acro yoga on Sundays, and occasionally I'd go there, and this guy was there, and I was, um, he was quite interesting in that my i had a partner at the time and she had a young son and the way that he engaged with with her son was stood out to me it's like i not i didn't see many people give him the level of attention that he was giving him and i was like oh that's really interesting so i took it upon myself to to find out more about who he was and uh i later discovered that he was part of something called the authentic man program and he invited me to a men's circle he was running there and and then i kind of started diving into their work the authentic man program so i originally learned authentic relating from the lens of trying to be a better man and relate better to women and my relationship at the time was breaking down it uh it eventually ended um but that kind of the training i started i I bought all of their online courses and started devouring them and i really immersed myself in the experience there was a there was a program they had about it was called getting her world and it was basically one of the the founders it was just like recordings of him speaking to women and then they would dissect it and show what he was doing like all these different kind of authentic relating moves and i was absolutely fascinated by it so i like i watched it over and over and i just started doing that with everybody not just women i just started relating that way with everybody and i noticed the way that people would light up and reveal themselves to me and the kind of the feeling that would happen that i later you know understand as intimacy that would happen as they open through that experience of my curiosity or my attention or my presence on them. And so I really immersed myself in that. And at around the same time I wrote, so this was like 13 years ago, I wrote an article on an online journal called Elephant Journal. And it was a response to something a woman had written saying 10 things I love about men. And I remember reading this article and I felt so seen. Like I was like, oh, I felt really nice to read. And I was like, I'm going to write a reply. 10 things I love about women. And so I wrote this reply, never written anything online at the time. And like it went semi-viral, you know, it had like a couple of hundred thousand views or something like that. And I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. And in my bio, I had my Facebook profile and people were friend requesting me. And I'd like, that was a new novel experience. And I remember at the time internally making a choice that my Facebook, you know, this was early days, my Facebook would someday be something for, for 
it would it would lead to something i didn't know what but i made that choice and from that point on i kind of became a public writer you know and so i spent the next 10 years finding my voice and practicing authentic relating and i left thailand a little bit afterwards i moved back to sydney and um, i'd done one of these people's courses called authentic community leadership where they taught about running authentic relating games classes and i met someone who lived in sydney where i moved back to at the time through that course and i said hey you want to you want to try do this you want to like give it a go and so we just started facilitating classes together and that was my starting journey and then i facilitated you know we just did it casually it wasn't for money we just did it for the love of it for community building and then i started facilitating workshops at festivals and i started um I was I went back to stay with my parents for a bit and I started running classes with friends in my house in my bedroom I'd invite people over and facilitate practices and circling and I just was doing that for years and years and then it wasn't until much later that it started to become like oh I'm pretty good at facilitating now I've like done hundreds of hours of this and um you know and I've worked with people one-on-one, -on -one, not necessarily in a professional context, but I would sit down and give people presence and like dive into their world, you know, hundreds of hours of that too. So it just naturally started to lead into coaching and, and facilitating, um, you know, and then I did, I did some, some studies in counseling and psychotherapy. So I have some of that background as well, but that was really how I, I kind of just stumbled into it. It wasn't really something I decided I'm going to be a coach or whatever. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I love those stories where we're we're following something. You know, something yeah. calls us, we're following it. We don't know, we don't see the whole picture yet, but something in us is like, yeah, this is this is it. Um, yeah. sweet. So, you know, I hear you sharing online and and you don't shy away from the difficult dark parts of your story and your past and and I think that helps you be more be more relatable. Uh, I'm curious if you can say anything about you know, how you bring your own learning and your own kind of frailties and, and humanity into your writing and your work with people? Like, what, what role does that play? Well, I would say that um, mostly what I'm trying to offer is, or, or at least what inspires me is making sense of my own experience. So I'm inspired to make sense of my own experience. You know, I've, I research I study, I learn about things to make sense of my own experience. I started to learn about intimacy because intimacy was very hard for me. You know, growing up, I faced a lot of rejection. I didn't understand how to relate to other women. I was very late to have a girlfriend. You know, I was like really slow to the party and all of that. And I had a lot of pain there. And so I think I got fascinated by this experience just because it hurt so much. So... I feel like I really use my own experience to to inform that. Well, it's like I'm I'm making sense of my own experience, and then there's just a like a there's like a love for making sense. Like I love to understand the the foundational bits of how things work. Like I love to get in there and be like, why do relationships work? You know what what what's happening at the bedrock? And I'm I'm really interested in kind of like getting to the immutable truths you know the ones that are like it actually doesn't matter what gender you are what type of relationship you have these are the things this is the bedrock that applies to all of us and that's what i really try and try and get to um more and more i use my experience to do what you just suggested is like i want i want us to not feel alone you know that 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 these experiences are kind of common or ubiquitous to us all. I don't believe there's anybody out there who's just got the perfect relationship with no problems or no challenges ever. I think that, you know, life is difficult. Life has ups and downs. Life has seasons. There's, you know, the, that's just part of nature. Like the sun's out today, but yesterday it was raining all day. Like we actually got flooded out of our house the other day. We couldn't get in because the bridge is underwater. Like this is just nature. Nature moves through different cycles and we have a perspective on them, you know, around what that means. And in, in, in internal relationship, we have pain, you know, we have experiences of pain and we have experiences of joy, but from a zoomed out level, they're just experiences. And so, um, yeah, I think I just, I just want us to not be alone. You know, it's like, if we're all moving collectively, you know, and my, the thing that's actually the most passionate, the most driving force for me, which is why it's called Evolve Relating, right, is like I'm interested in human evolution. I'm interested in us becoming who we could be, you know, as a species, which is 
infinite, you know, it continues on forever. But I'm interested in that journey, that that kind of mutationary impulse that seems to run all the way through, you know, nature and consciousness. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not shy of of looking at the messy and sticky bits, you know, even as they increasingly decrease in my life. They don't, they're always still there, but you know, I get better and better at handling them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that all resonates with me a lot. And, and also I noticed there, there seem to be like distinctive stages of, of development and, and sort of thresholds we pass through where you come into a new scope of life and you're new in that new scope and, and and there's lots of new difficulties and challenges that are there and and then you get better and better and better in that stage that scope and you get to a point where it all feels actually quite kind of manageable and like oh i got this and then usually for me sometimes around there i feel a new threshold approaching and then I, if i pass through that threshold then again i'm like a baby again so I don't think life is meant to be uh, like where we get to some end point and we stick a flag in the ground and it's like, I got it all figured out, but that life is continually going to give us the rightful next opportunities to become, as you said, to become what we're able to become. So I I love that. I I love that, that you brought the developmental aspect into it because I think that that's so relevant and I love to just break that that example down to something so basic. Like if if I wanted to learn the guitar, just something as simple as that, you know, the first six months of learning the guitar is going to be painful. It's not going to be an ex- enjoyable experience. My hand is going to cramp. I'm going to start getting weird calluses. It's going to make terrible sounds. I'm going to be super frustrated. You know, I'm going to want to give up. I'm going to have to be pretty damn persistent to get to the point where it's like, oh, melodies are starting to emerge. Oh, my fingers are moving. And, you know, and then there becomes a point where the growing becomes pleasurable. You know, it's like two years into my guitar journey all of a sudden learning a new song is actually a fun experience because I know how to move the fingers and it's just learning new and more complex combinations. And I think that that analogy holds through to anything we learn, including intimacy. But intimacy or relationship, it's like because it's more of, it's not so tangible as playing the guitar, we don't necessarily see it with that lens. But my experience is if, is if we apply ourselves and we learn kind of the rules of relationship, we learn the rules of intimacy, we learn how to deal with the challenges of it, it's more complex than a guitar, but there comes a point where we start to enjoy the learning versus it hurts all the time. You know, yeah. we start being able to handle more of the nuances and subtleties as they unfold. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I was just as you were speaking, I was thinking about for some of my journey, I got quite into sports and athletics and training physically, and I can see the points where I wasn't yet in love with the training. Like it was, it was arduous and hard and hurt. My body hurt. But at a certain point, because I started to see the relationship between what I invested in the training and the kind of performance I could I could engage in, I did really start to love even the hardest parts of the training. And so that mm-hmm. that's sort of a some something like a carrot that we can think about. Oh, yeah, if I really stay with this, I can start to even not that it's all easy or pleasurable, but you can start to enjoy that you're in a process that you know is bearing fruit in the medium to long term. So like that, mm-hmm. that shift of perspective, I think in the relational realm is, is really powerful for people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, it's like at one point, a conflict, for example, is just, it's such an unconscious process. You get in a fight and all you do is you end up yelling at each other and you, then it hurts. And like, you kind of carry these scars and maybe you manage to talk about it, but over time we get better and better and we like catch the fight and we like, you know, like we notice the dysregulation happening and you go, what do you need? And they go, I just need to be reassured. And you give them that reassurement and suddenly reassurance and suddenly it's like, we just like, we just had a fight in like 10 seconds, you know? And it's like, we went through the entire cycle and we're already in the repair experience, you know? It's like, whoa. And it's like, it has the opposite, you know? It's like, whoa, it's like something rearranges in a positive way inside and you go, whoa, like I'm capable here. Yeah. yeah. So can you speak a little bit about the difference between a couple that that has a, you know, a 14 day conflict versus a 14 minute conflict? And, and yeah, what are the pieces that people can start to think about or work with that will make a difference? Well, I would say the what what extends a fight out is probably like it's a number of things. One is that we're believing our dysregulation as truth. So we get, we get into a triggered state, and if it, if we're triggered, if if we've gone into a dysregulated state, which means we're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, or some some combination of those experiences, and often you know it's it's often a 
combination of fight and fawn or fight and freeze or something. And um, if if we are in a triggered state, it's historical. You know, it's actually not fully the person in front of us, you know, because if we took the the attachment piece out of it and it was just with a friend or something like that or it was with, with someone we didn't really know, we would get over it real quick. You know, it wouldn't really bother us, right? So there's a historical component to it. But we believe because we're experiencing that level of distress in the body and the nervous system and our emotions and thoughts are hijacked by that dysregulation, we believe it is true for right now. And so we end up fighting about this thing that we think is true right now. I think you're doing this thing to me and we actually miss the innocence of each other in that moment. I miss that actually you're probably just wanting reassurance and I'm wanting reassurance in some form or another. I'm feeling misunderstood and misheard and you're feeling misunderstood, but all we're doing is fighting to get our point of view across and consistently invalidating each other. And the more we fight for that, the more we fight for our perspective to be heard and and adopted by the other and the other person is doing that, the conflict will carry on until we either burn out and we're so exhausted we can't do it anymore or we gain enough altitude to go, what is this nonsense? I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I love, I love the phrase, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was being an asshole, right? It's like, it's brilliant, right? It's because it's like, if, and if I can say it with genuineness, it's like I just give up my ego in that moment. It's like, actually, I was just like, I was out of control. I'm so sorry for that. And I was being really horrible to you, right? We can say that with genuineness, it gets over it. So the, the 14 minutes is we get to that a lot quicker. You go, whoa, I'm real triggered right now. And I'm realizing that it's not about you at all. It's about something else. And can you help me? Like, I'm, I want to take this off you, you know, in some form or another, we might not say these words, but I want to take this projection off you, this transference, I'm transferring my mummy or daddy wound on you. I want to take this off you. And I just like, I'm noticing that I'm actually underneath this more often than not underneath this, I'm scared that you're going to leave me. Most fights are actually just, I'm terrified you're going to leave me. And it's bizarre, right? I'm terrified you're going to leave me. So I'm going to fight with you for 14 days. It's like, can we not see that that's not going to work? <laughs> it's going to cause the thing we're scared of. But if we can get to that and be like, I'm actually just feeling really scared right now and, and, and anxious, you know, can, can we just like lie next to each other and hold hands or something like that, you know? So, so I think that the difference is that we can get to that level of perspective quicker. We can, we get triggers are not truth. You know, I can recognize that my trigger is not true. And if I can hold that and then go, okay, the only thing the only thing here is to regulate my nervous system and find a way to create connection then then we're going to have a much greater success or a much greater chance of navigating that without destroying each other in the process hmm. and if you were kind of talking to or working with someone that's in the more in the 14 day camp what sorts of things would you be saying or asking or what sorts of things would you be using to help them start to yeah, kind of shorten that conflict cycle. So if I'm working with someone individually, um, I would be, there'd be two, two things, two real processes that I, that I work with. And I think that this is, um, this is the most effective therapeutic model as well as we want both bottom up and top down processes. So the bottom up is a somatic process, which is a nervous system regulation, which is the ability to deeply sense my somatic experience, which is the sensations in the body, because the sensations in the body create an emotion that then create kind of sets of stories about that emotion. So, you know, if I get right down to the somatic sensation, I'm just feeling contraction in my solar plexus or something. And if I can be with that and meet that and breathe through that, and center to center myself through that in some form or another, right? So I have a number of different somatic tools and it doesn't really matter as long as we can kind of drop below the level of meaning making. It's the meaning making that really kills us, right? It's like the stories that I tell about my experience then I project onto you as being true. You know, I'm like, I'm having stories about all the horrible things that you're doing to me and that you've done to me and that our life forever is going to be damaged in this way and so on and so on and so on. And those stories just create distance, right? If I can drop below those and come back into contact with my actual experience, then I have a chance of regulating free of that because the thoughts continue to loop it. Like they feed the, the, the anxiety or the panic in the body, which feeds the emotions, which feeds the thoughts. And we get this kind of like spiral of intensity. So if we can drop below that, 
And then the other part of it is the top down, which is more of a cognitive, more cognitive work, which is again, working with the meaning making, being able to see it as not true. So can I get distance enough to be like, I'm not going to believe that thought. I'm actually going to like get rid of that thought, that thought that's telling me that you're an untrustworthy person. You know, I recognize that when I'm regulated, that's, that's not what I think is true. So why do I think it's true right now? So can I get enough distance from that and go, I'm not believing that, I'm not believing that, I'm not believing that, while attending to the sensations that are going on in my body, while learning to regulate my system. And, you know, if I'm working with with an individual, it'd be like, can we do that process enough on our own? You know, I think that repair for the most part happens relationally. That's where we actually get the deepest healing, when we can do that with another person. But it's almost like we need a bit of pre-work. We need the capacity to at least cat, at least see our own trigger patterns before we can do it relationally. So it's like we have to do that that preparatory work of like, oh, I know I'm triggered now, versus like, you're the asshole. You know, if I'm if I'm making it about you, it's actually there's something going on in me. So so to to start to get to that ownership is 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 what I do. And then, and then we would start looking at like, okay, how do we navigate that as a couple? How do we, what, what is the kinds of reassurance we need? What, what are the, what are the interventions that we can create that work for us? Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I think about, you know, just like we talked about with a sport example, like there's the training and there's competition and just to perform well, you need both. You can't just become an expert trainer and expect to walk on the court or the field and 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 do what the others have been doing that they've been playing on the field the whole time. So so I love that just like bringing into a more accessible kind of um, gettable journey for people. Hmm. Earlier you talked about wanting to get to kind of the bedrock of of you know first principles really of the human condition mm-hmm. and of relating. Can we weave that? Like, what are some things that you've discovered in your work that feel really fundamental and foundational to you that that might help us understand or inform some of the pieces you're talking about? Because, like, the piece you said that I love is, you know, what's going on right now. My my reaction and my experience of what's going on right now is actually historical, mm. and and when we really get that, it's like, whoa! How how can my recognition that everything that's going on in my system right now is about the past? And there's somehow a doorway to really show up in the present moment in spite of that past. So, you know, what are some fundamentals that you think would be relevant for people that are on this journey um, that connect to where relationship gets difficult? Yeah. So I've been developing my own kind of model of intimacy, my own framework of intimacy. And I kind of, I think of it as, as a holarchical unfolding and, and a holarchy is is basically a, a nested hierarchy which means that it transcends and includes prior levels so so on this so i might just kind of like put that down and then we can like look at any elements of that that you, that you might like to so um i think of it you know intimacy the journey of intimacy really starts with self you know it's like i i need to the, the, that's the most so as it's a holarchy, which means that the the level of depth in one level then influences all the way through. So the level of intimacy or the level of self awareness that I have is going to inform the depth of intimacy that I can I can experience with another. I'm only going to be able to be as intimate with another as how intimate I am with myself. Meaning, how much self awareness have I created? How much self regulation have I created? What is my self esteem like? What is my self worth like? If I have really terrible self esteem, I'm never going to be able to receive love from you because it will always bump up against my lack of self esteem. So, we really kind of start with the self. So, we have to be doing self work. You know, that's kind of the, the, the fundamentals. I, I cannot. Unfortunately, I mean, I can receive, I can practice to receive love for you from you in a way that heals because all these stages inform each other. But I need to be able to develop my capacity to receive that, which means I need to have at least a gap to start receiving love from you in a way that's going to feed love, my own self love, which is then going to go back out to you, right? But I can't take love from you to to replace the lack of love I have for myself. So it's kind of a both and there, you know, it's like I've noticed a little bit of a, some discussion in the space, you know, yesterday around this. And I I really think of a both and around like self-love, other love. So it starts with self and then it goes from, from my perspective, it goes to other. 
and other is these two stages are not necessarily romantic in they're not necessarily romantic or erotic yet they're just more about connection so other to me sometimes i call communication well that's what i originally called it or authentic relating but i started thinking of it as other which is really so there's self you know it's almost like i'm just looking at me there is no other there's just me right and then at some point we put our head up and go wow someone else exists there is an other in the world there is other right and we have to learn to navigate with other how how do i relate to you this is not, we haven't even brought in any romance or any sexual energy or any bonding or attachment. It's literally, and this is where authentic relating for me sits. It's like the ability for me to connect to you is to relate my inner world to your, to your, to you. So this is the skill set here is can I articulate what's inside of me in a way that you can receive it? That is the level of intimacy that I'm going to be experiencing that. You know, that's one side of intimacy. And the other side is, can I listen to your experience in a way that it touches me? And if we have those two pathways, we're starting to develop an intimacy, right? My inner world is seen and heard and understood and felt by you. And your inner world is seen and heard and felt and understood by me. And then we might start to create a sense of like, oh, we are in an experience. We are having some kind of experience together. So that's an entire set of skills there. You know, that, that often called conversational skills, right? And they can be very deep. We can, we can create immense nuance and capacity in our ability to relate to other people that, that creates a sense of connection, right? Without any romance or erotic, eroticism. You can do this in friends. You can do this with strangers. You know, as I said on my authentic relating journey, I started applying it everywhere. And I would have, I'd be on a bus and I'd just start chatting to the person next to me and, you know, like, 40 minutes in on a long bus ride, 40 minutes into the ride, they'll go like, have you had the same life as me? It's like, it feels like you know my experience so intimately. And they were like shocked by it because I was just so present, right? And reflecting them and validating their experience. And then as we start to add more connection, if I spend more time with you, right, over time, well, we're going to start going into an experience that I call bonding, which is what we often think of as attachment. And attachment is kind of, I'm calling it bonding now because attachment has the bias around insecure or secure attachment, which is really our ability to bond effectively with another human. If I spend a lot of time with you, I'm going to start bonding with you. Our nervous systems are wired to create attachments with other humans because that is a survival mechanism because we survive better together. If I bond with a female mate and we have a child, our bonding is going to ensure that we protect that child to adulthood so that our species can survive, right? That child is designed to bond to its mother and bond to its father and the mother and father bond to each other and we bond to our tribe and we bond to our parents right so we're wired to bond and bonding is is a set of skills and and where we talk about attachment and insecure attachment in the world is basically a breakdown of our ability to bond because of kind of the the nightmares of modern day parenting and the the kind of the deviation from our natural kind of primal parenting structures that have existed for hundreds of thousands of years have just been kind of completely derailed put your child in another room and let them cry it out like it's like None of our ancestors ever did that. That's like insanity. That child that's crying it out in its bedroom by itself thinks that a wolf is going to come in and eat it. So it is in extreme levels of distress. It cannot determine that there is no wolf or lion or cheetah in the environment that is going to come and eat it. And it's like, there's nobody here to save me. So we've got these failures in our ability to bond. And that's where we're doing all our attachment work. We're literally repatterning our nervous system to be able to bond in a way that is healthy and effective. And so all of these conflicts and ruptures we're talking about is basically our failure to bond. And then I've got two more little stages to go through. And then we go into, from there, we start, we bond. Okay, bonding. And this is really interesting in that I think that one of the biggest challenges we're facing collectively is because we've failed to bond we also need in order to create romance and and sexual chemistry we need a polarity right polarity is is a reciprocal or opposite charge from another and that's what you know opposites attract as they say that's what creates the the charge of like ooh, exciting and butterflies because they're different right you know we have a literal biological difference men have penises women have vaginas we have different hormonal structures those things are wired to come together to create life right so we have polarity which creates that energy but the the in 
inefficient or ineffective bonding that we've been developed, the insecure bonding strategies means that a lot of the time we generate that polarity through the anxious and avoidant, which is a polarity, right? So we're trying to generate our romantic and erotic chemistry through a dysfunctional polarity of anxious and avoidance. But when we actually learn that bonding, bonding is about coming together in a safe and secure way. It's not about creating romance. It's not about creating sexual chemistry. It's about this person has my back. I'm not going to die with them on my team, right? That's kind of like what bonding is. When we feel really secure with somebody, we're just like, they're there for me. It's calm. doesn't create sexual chemistry. It's just like it feels good. It's like, oh, somebody's there for me, right? You know, you can have a secure attachment with your therapist. It doesn't mean that you want to fuck them, right? (laughs) Yeah. So then we go into polarity, and that's where we go into masculine, feminine, kind of dynamics and i think it comes out like we have to smooth out the bonding process first and then we can create functional polarity which is the masculine feminine dance and if we haven't done the attachment stuff we're going to create it by i'm going to be a bit avoidant and they're going to be anxious and we're going to kind of play that out and it feels really hot but then what we're going to do is like break up makeup break up makeup break up makeup you know because that's where the tension comes from but when we smooth it out and you're like oh we've got each other's backs we're safe with each other well, how do we create the chemistry? We have to create that in another way, and that's through our reciprocal opposition. You know, it's like I'm masculine. I, you know, I I come to my woman and I like penetrate her with my gaze, and she opens her body. Suddenly, we've got an erotic spark, and we're like, "Cool, let's have sex." You know, it's like that's kind of what creates polarity. And then the last stage on top of that, I call awakening. And I don't necessarily think, again, this is holarchical. Not everyone gets there or wants to get there. And this is where our relationship starts to become more evolutionary. We start to consider how are we evolving? How are we transmuting shadows? How are we awakening our spiritual potentials, you know, our civic capacities through the, the deep reflection of another? That, that only someone who is so intimately close to us can give us. They're so close to us that they're going to show us those places if we open to them and that we can create kind of divine union and soulmates and sacred love and all of that stuff kind of starts to come there. Yeah. So that's Amazing. kind of I, the model, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have some similar pieces in, in – I, I, I think we're very similar. I, I love getting into the heart of things and the, the fundamentals and, and then to, to build frameworks or models that, again, aren't going to capture what's really going on but help point, point fingers towards the underlying complexity and beauty of life. Um, now, you know, we spoke a little bit before we started recording um, about polarity, and you were mentioning a kind of pattern that you notice in in some of the one to one clients that you work with, and and probably in your in your membership community as well, where women are coming and and basically saying like I I've learned to be quite masculine, I've needed to, and now I find it really hard to create the right kind of kind of juicy healthy polarity with with male partners. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like, why do why is that going on, and what's the antidote for for women? But you know, it's it's not really just a woman's problem, right? This is a challenge that women face, but that includes how men and women come together in our world. Yeah, I mean, I I love this topic because it's so fascinating, and I love to bring a lens that I don't think anyone is truly speaking to to this. And I think that I, I call it a polarity flip, and I think that we're going through a collective polarity flip, and this is, has developmental reasons to it. Um, one of the developmental models I use is called spiral dynamics, which is kind of a development of, it maps the development of cultural values or cultural memes, you know, not memes like the silly cat memes, but like kind of the mimetic structures of how we value things. Um, and I believe that there's a particular stage that we're moving into collectively stronger and stronger, like especially in the West, more and more of the West is occupied in this developmental stage that we can see in kind of like postmodern, um, postmodern experiences, activism. You know, I, I might not go too much into that, but but essentially, it's pre what we call integral. It's a pre-integrative state, we, meaning that we're almost able to fully go into an integrative state where we're like able to move into a both-and perspective. Prior to that, we're in a kind of either-or. It's either this or that. You're either this or that. And in that process, 
in order to become integrated, you're either a man or you're a woman. You're masculine or you're feminine. And then we kind of move into this this deconstructionist state that goes, hang on a second, that's not quite right. Maybe we're none of it. Maybe we should all be neutral. And it's like, well, that's not quite it either. That's not really the trans, like trans transcendent or or transpersonal perspective. It's both and, right? Both and. I am both masculine and feminine. But what does that mean? It means that in order to really get to that, we have to experience deeply the other side. So we go through this polarity flip and there is a functional reason for it, right? Women have needed to differentiate from the kind of male provision, protection and persecution or, or like, um, you know, kind of... Uh, you know the what's called the often called the patriarchy, right? The oppression that the that 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 has happened in that dynamic where there's almost an ownership relationship between man and woman, or masculine and feminine. Women have you know naturally wanted to evolve out of that because that is a natural evolutionary step to 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 want to evolve out of that. That makes total sense. And in order to do that, there's been a need to develop independence from men, work for themselves, make their own income push away or differentiate but in order to do that very strong masculine qualities have needed to emerge independence and freedom and autonomy and self-reliance these are all quite masculine structures in a in a way in 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 some way they're also very human but in some way there there's a there's a masculine tone to them and so in that process a woman needs to go well i need to know that i can take care of myself independent of man i need to become my own man right I become independent, I become my own man. And men on the other side have to do the same, right? It's like I need to get in contact. If I'm really going to meet the feminine, I need to know my own inner feminine. Without that, we can't fully be attuned to that world. And so men go the other direction, right? And they start becoming, and and a lot of early men's work very much promoted this. Let's start feeling more. Let's start getting into our emotional body. Let's start talking about what's going on inside of us this is a kind of a more feminine orientation in a way right and so there's this polarity flip that's occurring right and 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 you know then then men get more hedonistic they go well i don't really want to do the purpose thing i just kind of want to enjoy life and go with the flow and see what happens which is a more feminine orientation right and it doesn't work that well in a male body and same with the masculine doesn't work that well in a female body it can be done, but it leads to problems. So what happens is we have high levels of depression in men because they lose contact with purpose and direction. They lose contact with that kind of masculine, like, I want to do this, which is what creates and sustains the testosterone system in the body. And then we have women whose estrogen levels get out of whack because they're do- too much doing and not enough, like, actually in the body, right? And so there's a, and I believe that things like endometriosis and polycystic ovaries and all of these kind of problems that women are facing are actually because there's too much masculine energy running in that in their body. And the answer is a developmental answer. We are moving towards an integrated state. And that's where we go, truly go, I am all of it. I have masculine parts and feminine parts. I have all of it. And I choose to orient from one side or the other because it makes more sense with my body. I'm not fem I'm not fully identified with I'm just a feminine being. I am a, you know a multidimensional being that's having a feminine experience, right? And I'm choosing to align with that or having a masculine experience and I'm choosing to align with that because it makes more sense for my body, it feels better for me, it creates more better dynamics inside of a relationship because then it gives us that romantic charge and then we have to but again it becomes a practice. We have to start practicing it. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're speaking, I love it. I, I've, I've kind of thought about it and looked at similar kind of, I, I really like the, the frame of everything. Everything has value, but not equal value. And so everything that's happening is happening in part because it it's life is calling it to happen. But that's not the same thing as everything should keep happening. And so that's the question that I wanted to follow with is for men who are feeling trapped or or stuck or struggling more in that feminine dynamic uh, which i can totally relate to uh, you know raised by a single mom dad wasn't around much didn't have any strong role models and so like i've had to kind of like pick myself up and and consciously engage in these environments that are not because of my conditioning really uh kind of easy or or intuitive for me but 
how might we get in the way of the rightful development through this 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 in like it's a sort of an interim stage of development that's like you know like the caterpillar going into the the chrysalis it it knows it needs to go there and it gets transformed and human beings have this incredible ability to be like no 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 i don't, I don't want to go there i don't want to go to this next stage so how are we getting in the way and and then how do you support people in in rightfully walking the the liminal period between the either or and and the integrated both and yeah yeah i love that and i think that i think that there is a lot of exactly as you said like oh no no no, no i don't want to go through that right i think that happens a lot and i think when we see you know there is a lot of perspectives out there on polarity that get get a lot of pushback and rightfully so you know and they kind of tout a almost dogmatic approach to polarity men are this and they should do this and women are this and should do this and if you're not then you're wrong right the moment we the moment we say that the moment anyone says that, you can bet they're in a regressive form. You can bet that they've actually encountered that like, oh, we've got to go through this stage of development and go, nah, let's go back somewhere where it's safe, right? And just a quick analogy to go with that. So I've spent time out of curiosity um, with people with uh, a few different kind of like fringe religious groups these are not traditional religious structures these are kind of like formed ones and i i i liked i really enjoyed you know as with my curiosity asking people where they came from and how they got into these different different groups i'm not going to name them but you know there are a number of them out there and consistently i would find that they were in the chaos of the world and it felt too overwhelming and confronting. And then they found this place and it was like safe and made sense because there are rules and structures. And we see this also a lot of kind of movement towards Christianity again, towards like there's something that makes sense here. All I have to do is follow one book or all I have to do is follow one set of rules and the world makes sense, right? And, and that's it, you know, the chaos has ended, right? And I think polarity some of the dogmatic polarity teachings do the same thing. They offer a refuge from the chaos of like what's masculine, what's feminine. There's people telling me that it doesn't exist at all. And if I'm a man, I'm wrong. And if I exhibit these traits, there's something wrong with that. And, you know, like all of that, like there's a lot. And you hit the, I call it the swamp almost, where it's like it's attempting like the caterpillar. It's a great analogy. Before the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, when it goes in that chrysalis, it literally turns to jelly. Everything deconstructs before it's reformed. And it's like that process. Everything starts deconstructing. I don't know who I am. This is like kind of a dark night, right? I don't know who I am or how this fits. Like we're tearing it all apart. There is no polarity. There is no, you know, masculine. There is no feminine. There is no God. There is no like just it's all falling apart, right? Um, because it's being reformed into a higher order or more complex structure. Um, so I think that, I think when we when we are unwilling to kind of go through that chaos, when we flee back to a sanctuary, and some people may really need that refuge for a time. Maybe it's then they're not able to handle that transition because it's a lot, you know. Some of us went through it before it got more messy, you know, like it's it's getting messier. That transitionary, there's more confusion, more noise. As more of the center of gravity is approaching it, the noise around it is getting louder. So it's very messy, right? And you go into you wade into that territory and you can get cancelled and you can get attacked and you can get torn down. Um, but we have to go through it. You know, that's the kind of thing. And it's almost one of those places where it hurts to go through it. It's kind of an unavoidable pain. You know, you kind of have to go, ow, you know, as a man, I realize I have no sense of purpose or direction in my life and I'm not sure what to do, but I don't want to abandon my inner sensitivity and the attunement that I have. So what do I do? It's okay. Well, I have to discover what my purpose is. I have to spend some time with that. I have to go lift heavy things and work on my testosterone, right? You know, I have to learn to be a bit more, bit more in charge. I have to, you know, I have to risk like being with my partner and like kind of being a bit dominant, you know, in a moment in the bedroom or something and risk the fear that's like, you know, you can get accused of doing some pretty nasty stuff when you exhibit dominant energy, you know, and the woman on the other side has to kind of go through the experience of like, actually, I want this. This is something that I want. You know, I want to experience this this kind of dynamic with a man. So it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a process of both deconstructing 
and reconstructing at the same time or integrating at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm glad you, I use the word integrative and integrated and integrate a lot. Um, yeah. I, and do you know Daniel Siegel? In yeah. his work yeah so so his definition of integration is so amazing he basically speaks about integration as the collaborative and cohesive interaction between differentiated parts yes so, so the parts are differentiated they're not the same but because of the way they interact and communicate and relate they actually act as a whole and and i think that's just such an apt and an articulate way to describe the human condition, because we can be more or less integrated. Our differentiated parts can be more or less in a collaborative, cohesive interaction. And and for those that, that experience a lot of what I would describe as sort of like um, conflict-rich ambivalence, that's a tough place to be. Ambivalence mm. is just like a part of you wants this and a part of you wants something else that, that is in some way at odds or seems to be at odds with the mm. other. And, and then we experience the discomfort of that ambivalence and, and often confusion. Like you spoke about men, I think men and women right now um, ac across the board feel very confused and insecure. And if they don't feel insecure, either they're one of the most integrated human beings in the world or they've camped out in one of those more kind of fundamentalist spaces where they've just simplified the, the chaos and complexity of life as a way to avoid it instead of as a way to fully come into relationship with it and, and to come into an integrative place with it. So you know, maybe we can kind of weave it back to the, the, the woman that you were speaking of that, that is in the masculine place, knows that she wants to kind of relinquish. She, she has some sense that the chrysalis is the place to go. Um, but you know what I hear a lot from women in that place is like, where are the men? You know, mm -hmm. where are the men that will allow me to feel safe enough to let that piece down? So I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about that and, and anything else that you'd like to kind of bring full circle for the conversation. Mm. I love that. I just wanted to comment briefly on the, the integrative part. It's like, and, and to weave this in, it's like you'll find when people are entering this kind of move towards integrative, you know, integrative means like, I'm all of it. I'm masculine and feminine. And then I choose to identify with certain parts for certain reasons, right? And you'll find people in that process, they will start talking about my inner masculine, my inner feminine. They'll start talking about the parts of themselves, you know, which is a big part of the process. It's like we have to disidentify, which means that we see our parts as an object before we can fully reintegrate. So I'll see my masculine parts and I'll see my feminine parts and I'll speak to them and I'll recognize when I am in them. And then the more that we do that, at some point they start to become us and we become way more fluid. It's not, I don't have to go, well, now I'm going to turn on my masculine. I just kind of, I know how to move in those different parts of me. You know, I know how to. Um, so I love that question, where are, where are all the men? Well, we are, and this is this is kind of the, the, the hard part is we attract our reciprocals, right? A lot of the time, if I'm saying, if I'm saying, where are the men and I need the man in order, I'm not going to go into my feminine until the man shows up. Well, I'm going to attract men who are not going to go into their masculine until the woman softens, right? We're going to be in a stalemate, right? So when I work with, with women, I'm always inviting them to soften. I'm always inviting them to experience that feminine part. And then I'm encouraging them to interact in the world from that place, to go on dates from that place, even if this is not a man that I think that I'm going to go home with or that is going to be my mate. I'm still practicing how can I be in that, recognizing that I have those masculine protector parts that can jump in any time. I have my ability to be discerning. I can always say no. There's always protection around me. I don't put myself in a dangerous situation. All of that is valid. And recognizing that I have all of that ability to protect myself, how do I then lead from that place because if i want to be met there i have to show it the degree that i'm going to show that is the degree that i'm going to be met and if i can if i can do that if i can lead from that place as a woman the more feminine receptive parts of me right and i'm interacting from those places well i'm going to see very quickly who will meet that and who won't i won't have to wait down the line the man will either naturally polarize into that or he'll be confronted by it and won't know what to do right? And he's going to tell me himself. So that's one part, you know, I'm going to, we're going to 
attract and be attracted to our reciprocal. And sometimes that reciprocal is basically someone who needs to teach us to soften or teach us to open because of the, the way they, they are. Um, and the other part is the more that the more women that go, I'm going to, and I really believe that women have immense mating ability to apply immense mating pressure. They actually hold the ability. The, a, a woman holds the ability for our genetic evolutionary potential by her mate selection. You know, this is powerful. Women have immense ability to shape, not in a controlling way, but to shape and pressurize the evolution of men. Men won't evolve unless they receive that pressure. If a woman goes, right, I'm going to be in my feminine and I'm only willing to enter into a relationship with men who are willing to step into their purpose and their masculine, well, you can bet that the men around will start responding to that and go, right, okay, that's why we built cities, right? It's like if if there wasn't the pressure from women, we'd, we'd live in huts, you know? <laughs> who, who cares about any of that, right? Totally, totally. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do any of this stuff as men. We'd just be like, how can I make my life as simple as possible as a man? Yeah. You know, really, no. if there's no woman in my life, you know, if, if there was no desire for intimacy <laughs> and connection with a woman and to evolve with a woman, I'd live in a caravan. I'd live in a caravan with a dog, you know, and I'd be very content. Yeah. So some would some would say that's that's too extreme and, and there's all these other things going on in life and 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 I think there are, but but I absolutely resonate and agree that you know, we are at base, we are these biological organisms that are driven by that as a primary imperative and it, it rules us in ways that most people don't get or aren't willing to admit. And so I just love how you brought that forward and, and spoke about it. I think it's brilliant and and, and right on the mark. Mm. So I want to I want to bring the men in now because you spoke mm. about women, and I think it's it's basically the same but flipped. But I, but I also think there's a different way to speak about it and communicate it to men. And I wanted to give you a chance to do that. Mm. It's really interesting when it comes to men because. Um, in the polarity flip, and this is, I'm going to probably wade into a little bit of controversial. I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers of any of men who are living here. In the polarity flip, when feminine, when feminine energy is running through a man's body, men tend to default towards hedonism. And so that's what we see a lot of, right? Hedonism is indulgent, decadent behavior, right? which is the man who wants to sleep around and go with any woman he wants and kind of like flow through life and have lots of experiences and go to this and that and everything. That's That tends to be a representation of a lot of feminine energy in a male body, you know, and we've, we've almost like okayed it by saying men just want to like mate, you know, men just want to like impregnate everyone who, you know, who, who comes into their space, you know, because that's the biological impulse of men. I don't believe that that's true. I, I think that there is some tendency towards that. But if you really think about kind of the evolutionary pressure, you know, it's like what's going to be more successful, a man who impreg impregnates a bunch of women and then just leaves them, or a man who impregnates a woman stays with her and makes sure that child protects her and the child until that child is developed into adulthood. Which one is going to have more success in a long-term experience? So I think that the masculine energy in some ways is deeply orient oriented, which is why often the, the, the strongest male qualities, when we start stepping into the polarity space, the strongest male qualities that are touted are things like protection and provision. This is the thing that the women are wanting to feel from the men. I want to feel protected and provided for. And there's all these conversations about, you know, provision, right? And at an earlier stage, you know, I might not go there, but, but there is this natural impulse in the masculine, I believe I felt it in myself. I felt it in myself as I got into more, more of my masculine essence. There was this impulse to protect and provide for my mate. Like it just came online as like this incredibly strong driver. And if anything, it made, you know, you said you've, you've seen me really come into my own. Well, my business and my growth started to really grow when 
I committed to partnership and said, right, this is the person that I want to put my life on the line for. This is the person I want to create family with. So what do I do about it, right? If I wasn't in partnership, I'd probably be much more content without, you know, with doing a lot less, you know, relaxing a lot more. Um, so I think that to come back into the masculine, like really strongly in the masculine, is to kind of pick a direction and move with a sense of purpose in the world, move with a sense of desire to create legacy, to create something that lasts and legacy for family, legacy for, um, yeah, you know, for our, for our, the generations to come and to protect and provide for those who, who we care for. And I think that when we are orienting from hedonism, there's a self-indulgence, you know, there's a very self-oriented focus. It's not, it's not aligned with that kind of that strong masculine impulse. I might just see what you have to say about that before I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm processing it. I don't know if I see it the same way. Mm. Um, what was coming to me as you were speaking is that what's clear to me is that we have these biological imperatives and, and when we look at it strictly biologically, I think we miss, we miss the mark on what's really going on. I think the biology is just a course representation of, of what life is up to and, and life is up to evolution and, 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 and life knows how to evolve. As human beings, we have this incredible capacity and I'll actually reference a conversation. I I worked with, I worked with athletes for a number of years and, and one coach in particular sticks out as just head and shoulders by far the best sport coach I ever worked with. And at, at some point he asked me, he said, what's the difference between human beings and animals? And, and what he said was, I, I thought for a while and I was like, I don't know. This was quite a few years ago. And he said, human beings can invest. Mm. You know, and, and, and I think you could actually look at animals that, that do something that looks like investment. But, but I think what I've come to now actually is that human beings are able to invest in something that they have abstracted. So what that means is the human being can can imagine something that doesn't yet exist and then invest in that something. And mm-hmm. that that this capacity is a double-edged sword. In other words, I can abstract something that is nonsense. I can abstract something that is totally divorced or dissociated from from real life and then go about manifesting that. And so you see people who go down a really ugly dark path are, are their life is full of distortion and dysfunction. But in the same way, I think we can orient and align with with life itself and use our power of abstraction to create new expressions and articulations of that intelligence. Mm. And, and so I think that's what we're up to. And, and, and I think men and women have our own roles. Now, I don't think it's like a, a box over here and a box over there. I, I'm happy to speak about energies and, and orientations and, and f- sort of the flavorings of masculine and feminine that each individual has. That's obvious to me. But yeah. I do think something happens when we become deeply honest with ourselves in yeah. a way where we're, we're being true to the package that we came into this world with. Yeah. And, and then we begin using that package through the power of our abstraction and our ability to invest in that abstraction to maximize what that particular package is able to bring through in, in, in the way of evolution, like how I become something that I am not yet. And, and through that, I contribute to the, the broader evolution of humanity and, and life on earth. So, you know, I'm getting pretty kind of philosophical and heady, but I, and I know you I can it. stay with me, but maybe yeah. you can kind of like piggyback or, or, or whatever you want to say to kind of complete that thought. And, and yeah, then I, I know we'll do this again. I, I, I think we're just never going to have enough time to get to what we want to get to. Well, I, I love what you just said. And I'm curious what your take is there on, on men and masculinity, masculinity from, from that well, I'll bring it more specifically to the question I asked you, which is like, what do men do who, who are in this mm. kind of mm. polarity flip and, and are, are struggling? And and what I believe is that we have these innate, um, this innate intelligence, and, and it's what our biology is is all about. And then we have an overlay of conditioning on top of that. And and what men, I think, need to do is to to come to terms with both of those things for a man that is that is maybe stuck in or feels a bit trapped in a feminine way of being 
and is also terrified of that underlying innate masculinity, he has to come to terms with both because they're both there. And, and the overlay is often a combination of authentic growth out of the innate capacity of a man. And some of it is a distortion of who and what he is as a man. And so there's a, you know, I, as you were speaking earlier, I was thinking about, um, you know, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey in the dark cave. I think wherever you're at as a man, however masculine you are in, in your present presentation to the world, um, you know, how big your muscles are, whatever, um, you need to get clear that there's a dark cave inside of you and you have to enter it. And that if you do it sincerely, you will come out different. You will know what you don't currently know and you will be clear about what you're not currently clear about. And, and to me, the most powerful ways, there's two. Two is like absolute ego-destroying, core-splitting honesty and people outside of you that embody what that journey and, and the, the entering and, and coming out of that cave create. So, so you want to surround yourself with people who have done it and you want to get deeply, deeply honest with yourself about what's really there inside of you so that you can discover that, that ultimately it's nothing to be afraid of. Mm. Mm. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I feel like there's a philosophical kind of high level approach that you put there. And then I like, I almost like my orientation is almost from the ground and I like, I see, you know, it's like as, as you, as we identify some of the feminine traits that men may be experiencing in their life at this moment, they tend to be things like an over identification with feeling states and over identification with, with like what's going on inside of me, my own internal world. They tend to be um, a sense of like aimlessness or listlessness or lack of purpose. Um, and so really is to find out like what are these things saying to us and how do they become functional parts of us in a way. And I often, you know, like similarly like we talked about, the woman's journey is to recognize that she has the ability to exist independently of men. She has the ability to recognize that she can take care of herself in the world. The man's journey is interesting in that it's like he has, he recognizes that he has a rich internal world. He recognizes that he is a feeling being and he has the emotional, he has emotional experiences in the world. But to identify with that as the primary experience kind of is quite destabilizing for the masculine. The masculine at the most absolute level, I believe, is is more orientated with witness or consciousness, which is an almost unfeeling, an ever-changing, unfeeling state, you know, stoicism and so forth. So what is the functional potential of this newfound ability to experience this rich world of emotion and feeling well when we move to relationally it's becomes a deep attunement to the feminine it's like the fact that i can feel that level means that i can actually feel her to that degree which is it can seem like a little bit like oh do i have like you know what is that all about is that what i'm i'm here to but actually to apply that to be in relationship with a woman and to feel her and take her on a journey of her experience is deeply rewarding, right? There's something deeply nourishing. And what happens is this kind of energetic loop that happens between man and woman kind of, and as we develop, it becomes more and more nuanced, more and more subtle. Like we actually feel the subtle energies that flow between us. The reward is her experience. When a woman moves into a deeper experience of feeling something, and she's able to, her body opens and she's able to feel that with us and we're able to feel it through her, there is an energy that returns. You know, I don't know about you, but like when my partner is in the deepest, like when she is properly feeling in, an, in a surrendered and unguarded way, it's arousing no matter what feeling she's having. She can be crying grief like proper grief, not just like like feeling really sad or feeling really scared or feeling really angry. And all of it is like sets my body alive. 
right? And so it's like I get to feel her experience. I get to witness the unfolding of the experience of the feminine and be in that. When, you know, and it can go sexually as well, that level of attunement is it's like when she opens into orgasm, we can enter into that orgasm. So we are experiencing the inside of her orgasm, right? It's not just my pleasure. I'm actually experiencing the inside of her orgasm, which is like a woman's orgasm is like way more nuanced and varied than a man's one. There's like so much more going on there. So, you know, the the, the skills that we're learning by recognizing our own inner feminine states become relational tools. They become tools that then we can apply to relationship, you know. The, the ability to go with the flow allows us to experience different parts of life. It allows us to go on the journey with her. But then there's something very satisfying with coming into strong masculine states, especially in relationship. You know, sometimes I, I doesn't mean that we don't feel and that doesn't mean that sometimes I don't want to be held and I don't want my, my, my heart to be felt, you know, because we are doesn't mean that that a woman should kind of let go of the ability to take care of her own life and not work or not have any purpose it doesn't mean any of that it just means that we recognize that we can play reciprocal opposition to each other in ways that feel really good and that open dimension and and levels of experience and levels of of intimacy that just aren't available until we come into the embodiment of those polarities and, and those differences. So yeah. I, I just see so much richness and value in in what you're talking about. Um, I really appreciate you and your work and, and I look forward to seeing what you create next. We'll make sure that contact with you uh, is easy. And and in terms, of, I know you have a membership community that's that's really alive right now. Is there anything mm-hmm. else you want to kind of leave people with or anything else that, that people should know if they want more of, of Damien? Um, yeah, depending on you know where this airs, there should be a link in the show notes, hopefully, that will um, send, send you to a, a, an, an, a little ebook that we're working on currently um, called Secret Keys to Intimacy. One of my um, enjoyments is to weave, as you kind of said in the intro, I love weaving lots of different things together and finding the way they all interconnect. And one of the, one of the tools I love using is the gene keys, right? And I like to take the gene keys and I'm weaving them in a way that's not so explicit. You don't need to know, you don't need to input your date of birth or your time of birth. You don't need to know anything about your human design or the actual gene keys at all. But we've been taking the gifts of the gene keys and applying them to intimacy. So this little ebook we're working on, and hopefully is available by the time this airs, um, secret keys to intimacy. It's basically using the the sixty four gene keys as applied to intimacy and kind of h- how they how we can use these lessons to create more connection and more intimacy in our life. And so that's kind of a real starting point. Join my newsletter, you know, which I write with my partner Katie. And then obviously, if you want to go deeper into the work, my membership is an ongoing thing that has calls and practices and lots of information and content. It's something where we're, we're streamlining and refining, and I'm really, really, really enjoying um, having that space. Awesome. I, I, I had a really, really good time today. As I mentioned, I feel like we just scratched the surface. Um, I'll stay in touch. I would love to arrange another time to to get Absolutely. on the call again, and uh, yeah, I just look forward to the next time we get to to hang out, to connect, and and to hear more about uh, what you're up to. So thank you yeah, again for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. You have been watching the Best Relationship Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can also go and check out so much more content about relationships over at relationflix.com. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I can't wait to share more with you as we go. And until next time, love well.